Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Philosophy, Science, and Religion podcast. I'm Chandler Klebs, and today's episode is actually the audio of another great Google Hangout I had with Pafa Ortiz on, you know, whether life is worth it, to be or not to be, you know, what's the value of existence, you know, is it worth the suffering, all of those great topics. And I think it was a very good talk in spite of some major audio glitches, and I had to cut out about five minutes of of silence in this video because we were getting disconnected and then there was the time I had to use the restroom and we had to cut cut out uh, the silence of that. But anyway, it, it, it'll still be a good talk. Even if you only listen to half of it, there's still many so important topics we covered. So anyway, I'm going to play it now and I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with my good friend, Pafa Ortiz, and we're having another Google Hangout today, and we have a very important topic, perhaps the most important topic ever, uh, and for now, we're calling it to be or not to be, and I think you'll understand after you listen to us talk, because we have stumbled upon perhaps the biggest question of all time. And what I mean is, you know, we've covered many different topics. We talk about biopantheism, we talk veganism, we talk all areas of morality, philosophy, religion, politics. You know, actually, neither Poffler or I are all that political. But here's the deal. More important than all of those other things is the value and nature of life itself. And what we're going to be getting into today, because Poffler and I have had some really good talks recently privately but we needed to get this recorded because we're into some deep stuff about is life worth it when we evaluate all, all life, you know, and there's different layers to this because there's our lives personally, the subjective experience of our own lives, but there's life in general, but there's more to it than just that as well. Um, and Paul, we've delved into this uh, in, on several different levels and how, what 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 do you think we ought to go about first? Which which type of life are we will we evaluate first? Yeah, the first thing I wanted to say was let's make the distinction um, right off the bat that there are actually several definitions of the word life. So just in in common, I mean, we're not going to get technical with um, Merriam-Webster definitions, but in in terms of the meaning of the word life, generally in in philosophical circles and religious discourse, um, in discussions or debate. We may be talking about life in terms of the experience of life, so that uh, living organisms and and what they get um, from birth till death, the aging process, the experience of life itself. Like throughout life, when we say that word life, there are many different, um, you know, good and bad experiences, and there's there's travail and there's pleasure and pain and and um, and joy and suffering uh, mixed in. So that's one definition of the word life. The other definition of the word life that we also use a lot in in antinatalist circles and in biopan and and in um, philosophical discussions is life itself um, in terms of the biological organism, in terms of the, um, in terms of the biological organism, uh, the, the, the distinct, sort of individualized manifestation of omnia, what I would call, um, you know, the life principle is, is giving birth to and creating, um, these differentiated forms. 
so a cat, a dog, a sheep, a rabbit, a human being, you know, um, like a tree, a plant, a flower, those are, are forms of life. So we, we have to make that distinction. So when we say that we value life, like generally I'm talking about um, those individual manifestations of life, those, uh, those unique forms, those unique biological, um, uh, you know, uh, basically the, the, those, those individual life forms. So those, those two distinctions there. And then um, is there another, I, I, I feel like there's another in terms of, um, in terms of ho holistically uh, as like, like the universe, like, like the whole, of existence itself, we can also um, say is synonymous with the word life, because because I would say because it it, it always leads to, I mean I guess Trick and others might disagree, but it always leads to the production of it always leads to the manifestation of consciousness. So that whole process itself, which in that sense I would say is is synonymous with with nature, with the universe, with God. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty good rundown, and I'm not sure I caught all of it, but that's the benefit of recording, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the thing about it is when we talk about talk about life, you know, it, it's it's because we live in a world where human languages have a single word with more than one definition. Yeah. So much confusion arises from this, and then people argue semantics and. <laughs> And, and this becomes very clear in all the controversial topics. People debate about what, you know, whether, for example, uh, um, the unborn are alive or not. You know, or they argue over the existence of God and the definition of God. And, and we're hoping to move beyond the semantics and definitions that people quibble over constantly and, and hope that we cover, cover you know, what we're talking about, regardless of what you may be talking about when you use the word life, anybody listening, you know, if you use the word life, you know, we, if we can cover all of these different things that somebody means, you know, and so let's see. Now, I have some thoughts uh, about how we could we could go about this. Um, unless you, I want to say real quickly. I want to say real quickly to just we can start us off, and you can build on it if you like. Right, take too long, but. Um, I value life in that I value the individual organisms um, that are experiencing life. See, there's the two definitions right there. So yeah. I value life. I don't always necessarily value life in terms of the experience of that organism because what if you're born into poverty? What if you're born into um, a completely dysfunctional um, home life and, and – you know your your surroundings and your environment. You're, you're in a, an abused in a situation where you're being abused and neglected, or you know or mistreated or molested. Um, I don't value the experience of of that life. I would say I'm appalled at the experience of that life, as I am with uh, all farm animals and what pigs endure, chickens endure. Their their life absolutely is atrocious, and and we don't value their existence. We value them. And, and we want to improve the quality of their existence, the, the quality yeah. of their life, because we value their life in terms of that ind those individual organisms, their ability to experience pain and suffering, the capacity they have, um, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to feel uh, pleasure and pain. So we value the individual organism, but we don't value their lives. And that kind of bleeds into the idea of, is it always best to just always preserve life, always preserve the experience of life? 
I don't necessarily agree because then we get into mercy killings and you know euthanasia. Like yes. we don't value life to the, to the degree to the extent that that we value everyone's experience because not everyone's experience of life is the same or is is um is pleasurable or is salubrious or healthy. Like like we value the the organism itself enough to make to at times um to to give someone a, a quick clean death um you know if they're suffering if there's no way out then we extinguish their life because we value their experience we value them so yeah yeah like when i say i value life and i, I love and respect and honor life i don't mean i'm gonna make a bunch of babies i'm gonna i'm gonna proliferate the, the human race and and procreate and continue to, to overpopulate because I'm an antinatalist. So in that sense, I don't value what human beings are doing and I don't respect this continuous um, proliferation of in, in human societies, um, but I value the individual humans within those societies and, and, and what they're going through and what they experience. Um, enough to, to the extent, so much so that I don't want to create more harm and suffering by having children by, you know, by reproducing. So there's yeah. a... There's a um, yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. I would say that to sum it up shortly, we're caring about quality of life, not just quantity of life. For example, rather than having uh, 20 children like the Duggars, instead pour the same resources that that takes and pour that into improving the quality of life that's already here. It is out of a respect for the life that is already here that somebody – would focus on that rather than procreating and, 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 and teaching and educating how, what a powerful thing it is to procreate that, that there should be so much forethought and there should be so much consideration and, and people should, should be much more a thousand times more conscientious uh, before they decide, before they agree to have children um, because of, of the after effects. Uh, what, what an, what an incredible, um, you know, innate inherent power. Most of us have some people are sterile from birth or they have some kind of issue, but the, this incredible power that we have to reproduce ourselves, to reproduce other life forms, that is not something to be taken lightly at all. And it's not given, it's absolutely not given enough consideration and forethought. Um, yeah. And like, here's how I would say is that uh, in, in, in social context, in terms right. of our culture, but no, yeah. Well, what, how I would say is that um, people procreating is not the result of an act requiring high intelligence or reason. And I think that's the problem. <laughs> the problem is that, like, let's take something else. Like, let's say playing chess or even some of the video games I play or, you know, e even simple tasks or you know, computer programming or writing a book, all of these tasks that require great um, – it takes great skill. It takes time and dedication. It's hard work. See, if procreation was hard for people to do, I have a feeling people wouldn't do it. But because it, people, it's so easy for people, people to have sex, that is why the procreation happens because there's no conscious thought. <laughs> It's the easiest biological imperative to follow besides eating and sleeping and shitting. It's the easiest biological imperative, the, 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 um, the, the most, one of the most instinctual – I would put it on par with, with desire for food, with hunger. It can be stronger psychologically because it's also psychological. Um, it it um, literally 
you know, testosterone and hormones and stuff can affect your thinking, can affect your brain, and um, and women will have the um, you, you know the uh, the maternal instinct that that is that is very pervasive and strong. Um, but what I want to say is like, but our society glorifies sex. Our society glorifies externals and and uh, sex cells. So like you have something that that is literally the cause of all the harm and pain and suffering in the world. And yet the act itself of, of um, say lovemaking or, or procreation or sex or, or whatever is so easily like, like, like misunderstood and, and sort of idealized and glorified. And there's such, fi- such a fixation on um, physical pleasure and on, on, you know, our, our desires and on fulfilling those needs with no thought whatsoever on the children that will be brought into the world, um, you know, completely non-consensually. Yeah, you can consent to having sex, but that child has no say in it. That child has no say in where they're born, what their name is, what religion they're brought up in, what culture they're brought up in. That's all on the responsibility. That's all completely um, on the shoulders of the parents, and they don't think about that enough. If every hot woman and every ad that had some beautiful girl and it's appealing to the fleshy desires of the culture also showed right next to it. This can lead to STDs. This can lead to unwanted pregnancy. This can lead to emotional heartbreak and abuse. This can lead like a war. Like I'm thinking of like surgeon general's <laughs> yeah. warning yeah. on the yeah. side of a package, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, like this can lead to, this can lead to, to, to uh, abortion and, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, horrible, um, traumatic experiences later on, or, or this can lead to, uh, to, you know, children that will then suffer and, and in, in incredible responsibility and, and, you know, that financial, uh, you know, financial problems, this can lead to all these different things. I wonder then, you know, if, if it would still be as, but they're not marketing it that way. They're marketing it because they're, they're feeding, they're, they're, they're using the, um, they're manipulating the, uh, the, the sex drive, basically, and and you know, our the we're visual creatures that we respond to visual stimuli, and that's one of our most basic, um, fundamental needs. So, it's yeah, and for the sake audio, of money. Your, your audio cut out for a second there, so you okay. may have to repeat what you just said. I'll go a little bit slower, but I was just saying, and it's all for the sake of money because we live in this this profit-driven monetary system. So that's the first thing that needs to go. In order to ever have a, an ethical society that's free from corruption, we have to do away with the monetary system because you don't have an ethical incentive. You have a, a profit-driven incentive, you know? So it's it's all ass backwards. All, the, all these different forces are working against each other, and that's why we have overpopulation. That's why we have teenage pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy. That's why we have STDs and, um, you know, spousal, marital, um, domestic violence and, and – you know, all the problems that go along with sex and marriage and relationships um, because it's not well thought out. It's not it's not considered ahead of time what an incredible gift and a, and a power that we have um, that all most life forms um, can reproduce. It's actually one, one of the qualities of uh, life, one of the seven qualities of life is, um, you know, the ability to, uh, to reproduce um, like uh, plants, all plants and animals and, and even cells. Um, that's, that's an amazing thing. So here's where we've we got to draw the distinction. That's a beautiful, incredible, amazing thing because it can create this biodiversity, this, this, um, uh, this uh, multitudinous life forms and, and you know, all these incredible, unique experiences and, and all, all this beauty and joy and wonder, and yet 
if not if not considered responsibly, it can it can literally uh, be the cause of, of all the problems in the world of, of all the problems in your life, um, and and even you know as in with STDs and stuff, lethal uh, sexually transmitted diseases um, and venereal disease. So it's 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 a double edged sword, man. I mean, we have this incredible power. I don't think that we're I don't think that it's being taught. Yeah. Yeah, and fundamentally um, powerful it is, I, I guess. So it's a beautiful thing, but it, it can also be a terrible thing. So I love life, but you know, I, I don't necessarily love the the perpetuation or proliferation of right. life. Yeah, and it's very interesting because you know, um, first of all, people trivialize it. Um, in this culture, you know, sex is just sold as nothing. It's, it's used as a money-making thing. It's, it's sold as a product basically. And, and, and look at this, like, here's another example. Um, this, this, this applies to procreation, but doesn't necessarily apply to sex because consider, um, uh, that the people, they do IVF, people who are unable to conceive just by having sex, there's something weird. So then they do some special process where they'll pay huge sums of money for some some people to help get them pregnant. And to think, and which I always thought was a little bit odd that people wouldn't, yeah, would be willing to I've pay. Had, I've, had cousins do it, yeah. I've had cousins do it, you know, um, and through, you know, either, um, uh, what do you call it? Through a um, you know, a host, artificial insemination, um, a surrogate, you know, or uh, or they adopt, you know. I mean, I I a hundred percent agree with adoption if um, yeah. if you want to raise a child, if you're if you're just so gung ho to um, to foster and nurture another life form. There's plenty that already exist that that are in need of good parents and and good homes. Um, and that I see nothing wrong with that at all. If you're financially stable, if you're emotionally stable. If your if your environment is is conducive to raise and nurture, um, uh, you know, a, a life in a healthy, um, positive way, but um, I, we don't agree. You know, we're antinatalists, so we don't agree with the idea of uh, creating your own, reproducing your own, um, and and adding to the, yeah. the stress um, on the environment and and the your environmental footprint, you know, your carbon footprint, and all of the the. Yeah. Just the, the the drain on the resources, and I, I want to be clear about something. The Earth provides everything we need. The Earth is not in want at all. The Earth, as in a planet, the terrestrial globe of the Earth itself, um, the ecosystems and the environments can provide us everything that we need. And it, there's no shortages in in nature. The problem is the cities that that human beings that 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 in human cultures what, what, that were condensed into are these. Um, unsustainable, you know, dis dysfunctional, um, inhumane and unsanitary, you know, unhealthy conditions. So I, the, the populations that are, that are forced into the human societies that already exist are what make, are, you know, and, and the way that, that the amount that we're breeding and the amount that we're, um, what we're taking from the environment, you know, at the, at the rate and the amount that we're taking, that's what's making it unsustainable. But if we lived in, in harmonious accord with the earth, if we lived in a symbiotic relationship with our environments, with other plants and animals, um, the earth can provide and sustain us all. It's just that, that human beings are, um, are not living in cohesion with the, with the environment, with nature. You know, they're, they're, they're taking too much, Completely. If you don't know anything about, if you know anything about animal agriculture, if you don't know anything about it, 
watch Cowspiracy, and it'll completely break it down for you. Um, and you'll see uh, the environmental costs there and what's actually happening. And so vegetation can provide for everyone. You know, we have enough vegetation. It's that it's that the animals, the land that's being used for animal um, farm animal production. That's what's completely. Yeah, your your audio cuts out sometimes, which is really disturbing because we're getting into this. Can you hear me good? I can hear you. Uh, it, it it hasn't slowed down at all on my end. I mean, it might it might be fine in the recording. So yeah, it, yeah, it could. But be. I'll talk I'll talk a little slower if you want. I'll talk a little slower. Yeah, yeah and it's it's interesting because he, here's the thing is. We consider that human society is extremely wasteful. Human society as it exists now um, and, the, and the monetary system, like you're mentioning too, wastes all kinds of resources because food just sits in a grocery store and rots because people don't have the money to buy it. And that, that's the greatest tragedy ever. Like that's not the way it should be. I mean <laughs> – Or it gets thrown away or good food gets thrown away because it's not perfect – um, externally, it has blemishes or something because, again, we're, we're appealing to uh, consumerism, so we want to make the prettiest-looking product. Um, so if something has a defect, it's perfectly fine, but they'll, they'll throw away just you know boxes and boxes of, of, of perfectly good produce. Um, I know. It's, it's, it's wasted. Yeah, it's completely wasted. Yeah, so I know. Dumpster diving. They're, they're yeah. into that. You can save money that way. You can really – cut down on your on your um, on your footprint that way and, and live a more sustainable life but go ahead yeah yeah but the, yeah that's the point is that you know no matter how much the earth provides if humans mismanage it and prevent other humans from having that and say we're not until you pull out this this magical non-existent thing that we call money and give us it we're not going to let you have food we're not going to let you have water we're not going to let you have electricity because of that this society that we live in basically people are are it's a miracle that anybody ever has enough money for all the things they're required to pay for. And that's why this monetary system causes a lot of trouble. There is no doubt that there would be – that like with the animal agriculture, without a monetary system, would fall apart very, very quickly. Because yeah, if it wasn't profitable, then it wouldn't happen. Yeah, and we're, and we're getting into well, – yeah, if we had a resource-based economy, ethics-based – economy and ethics-based culture society we would see the damage the harm it's doing the the harm and the damage that it's doing to the environment would be highlighted and we would we would um we would uh sort of direct and and um you know you know we would design our culture based on you know the 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 needs of the the needs of the, the populace and what the earth provides and and what is sustainable rather than um what looks good, what's going to benefit a few. We're talking about the structural violence. You're getting into the idea of the structural violence that's created this disparity um, because of those few who are in power and because of the cultural myths and stuff uh, that, um, that are, they're so pervasive in our society. But let's, let's try and, and stay on point and get, and get focused on what we talked about. So we're talking about the pain and suffering. We're talking, um, you know the stratification and the, the the disunity and the want and the need that that doesn't have to be if we um, obviously if there was more 
if there was more equality and and uh, and things made sense, if it was a sane society, and we and we did things based on natural law rather than on consumerism or or corporatocracy or capitalism. Okay, so that's our experience right now. So we would say, why bring more life into this existence to experience that? It makes no sense. Now let's step back for a minute, okay? And on a broad scale, there's always going to be suffering and struggling and and pain and misery in life. No one's ever going to have an ideal life. I mean, the Buddha, whether he was fictional or he was a exaggerated, his the tales of his life exaggerated. He looked at the suffering around him. You know, um, Siddhartha. He looked at the suffering and he and he saw and he and he was appalled and he he knew that it was wrong that he should be so privileged and and so fortunate while his people and those around him suffered. So he gave all that up and that's when he went out to seek enlightenment. And so this raises the question, the most pertinent question that we're trying to get to, to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them to die, to sleep no more and by a natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished, to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub, for in that sleep of death what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. So this is from, obviously, Shakespeare's um, Hamlet, and uh, it's, it's raising that question, you know, that like, is existence even worth it, you know, because there is so much suffering. And then he says, even when you sleep, he's, he's worried that uh, even when you dream, you might, you might have troubles and there might be more, um, more travail, you know, in your experience. So we are antinatalists and many antinatalists, some antinatalists are against um, the proliferation of life in general, that if they could, they would push that button and they would end, you know, uh, existence itself because of what, it, what existence creates for those individual life forms that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And this is, yeah, this is important. Those individual life forms are so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I hope I didn't miss anything you said because sometimes I don't hear your audio. So hopefully it's not as bad on the recording as it is from me hearing. Um, but yeah, like recently I came across uh, the distinction. There's actually um, a there's actually a word um, that was actually recently invented by this one guy that I happen to know from how I understand it called ethylism. And apparently, the difference between antinatalism and ethylism is that. Ethylism applies to like all species, all life, not just against human procreation, but against the experience of all life because it's more suffering than is worth it, you might say. Right, right. And this, I guess this is Trick's position as well. Yeah, it does seem to be because, you know, we, we've heard enough of Trick to know exactly what he's saying, you know, you know, like it. And, it, you know, and he's right about the wildlife suffering, and I'm not going to deny that. The suffering of wildlife that is either burning or freezing or being eaten alive by predators, 
that suffering is immense and stays there even if the human race goes extinct. Right. But 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 naturally, if we could um, prevent the telomeres from from degradating and and in doing so eliminate aging and sickness and disease, if we could uh, effectively conquer and beat death, if we can become immortal, which I believe we will. Um, the integration of nanotechnology and um, stem cells and um, all of the advancements that, you know, that we're making and the direction we're moving, um, incorporating these advanced, these biotechnologies um, into our bodies and stuff, uh, we will eventually prolong our lives as we have and prolong our lives even further and eventually um, be able to, uh, pro, uh, what's the word, proactively, preemptively eliminate so many of the diseases um, that, that people suffer from. And obviously if everyone switched to a vegan diet, we could feed the world, you know, 10 times over, um, from all the, the grain and the vegetation that we're feeding the animals right now. So it's, it's totally plausible. It's totally possible. Yeah. It's not, um, this isn't a utopian ideal at all. It's right. It's yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the next, do we, do we then in turn, all I was trying to say was, do we then, does that naturally then start to bleed out? Um, in a good way, uh, as we extend our circle of compassion to the animal kingdom, to wildlife, yeah. and will we will we will we take selective animals and will we will we maintain them um, and and keep them like sterilize them so they don't they don't continue to breed and just keep certain species alive and create ideal habitats for them where where their needs are all their all of their needs are met so there's no more competition there's no more violence there's no more and that's way down the road, but at necessarily like playing God, because remember, I'm a pantheist, so I believe we are gods. We are the gods of yeah. this world. Yeah, so basically, here's what we're talking about, Paulo. You know how a lot of people really love their pets. You know, they've, they've got, it may be a dog, it may be a cat, or it may be a pig, or it may, it may be a, a hamster, it, whatever it may be. A lot of people who aren't even necessarily vegan, they have a pet that they really love. And that pet is spoiled rotten. You know what I mean? Like they do everything, they do everything for the, that pet and they, they always feed them on time. They make sure they're getting their nutrients. They give them toys to play with. They give them a good place to sleep. They give them a bath. I'm talking the full treatment. People who care for their, their pets, the way they do, some people do their own children. You know what I mean? Now, basically if, what if humans were capable of practicing that, on a grand scale, like what you were talking about. Like if, if you have these animals that are no longer just exposed to all the suffering in the wild wildness, but instead live on and special safe, uh, safe reserves or sanctuaries would be the right word. And their needs are met. They don't need to compete over food. The animals don't need to kill. No, no. The carnivores are even satisfied and no longer hunt and kill. Imagine that. Imagine if humans could get to that level. Because here's the thing. Like I, I have. Okay, here's how I would say it. Now we've done it with wolves. We've done it with wolves and the wild cats that became our domesticated cats. Yeah. So it's just you just take that and you expand it, and it's totally yes. possible. Not not at this yeah. time, but it right. is it is theoretically possible. Yeah. 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 So okay. So l go with me on this for a bit because I have a little bit to say here. Now, okay. Now there exists the way uh, nature is without human interference, and there still is a lot of great suffering by these animals. But then, as we know, in the current human society, 
most humans are carnists and automatically are adding on to the suffering of wild animals as well as breeding these domesticated animals and imposing worse suffering on them than wild animals experience. So vegans are doing like the least amount of harm possible. What, what vegans do is we say, yes, they're suffering, but at least let's not add to the suffering. Let you know. Let let's let's right. take out our our portion that we've been contributing. Let's stop. You know, now. But what if we can go even beyond that? And this and and I think everything rides on this puffle. Like literally everything. If humans can come to a time, if human society can become one such that humans, the the existence of humans literally reduces the suffering that there is less suffering as a result of the human race existing than there would be without us. If we could get to that point, then maybe it's worth it. Maybe our existence is worth it. And that's the question. And we're, can and we we're get talking to on this, point? on this planet and we're talking on, uh, we absolutely can. I believe that we have the greatest chance to do that. Um, more than any other species that's ever existed on this planet in recorded history and in the, in the, in the fossil record, as far as we know, we are the, we're the most, the high, the most highly advanced um, species evolutionarily speaking in terms of our potential, our computer, our environments um, to restructure things, to build, to, to innovate. Yes. Um, but yeah, we would start with, with this earth. And then, and then as our species, this is like an enlightened species that we can then spread out. We can explore the cosmos. We can help, um, you know, uh, bring education and wisdom to other, you know, other planetary systems, other, um, other life forms. And, and exactly like what Star Trek represented, you know, what the Federation represented in the Star Trek, Star Trek series, um, that's what we would become. Uh, but there are others who say that none of it is worth it. Um, and they take a much more pessimistic outlook and they would say that, uh, you know, there will always be whether we fix the problems we have in human societies or uh, move on to animal life. There's still going to be other planets there's, because nature itself is in the business of, of creating pain and death and suffering. Well, right. I say, I say nature, I say that nature is in the business of creating life and that pain and suffering is an aspect of that process is an aspect of that experience. Um, so overall, I don't think that nature is this evil force that's against us. That's out to kill us, not to harm us. Nature, um, in, in, in times past and, you know, in antiquity literally was our enemy and it refined us and it, and it strengthened us and it made us what we are. It made us the incredibly, uh, um, it made us incredibly, uh, you know, the dexterity that, that, that the human race possesses now is 100% due to nature being so harsh. And we had to evolve. We had to adapt. And that also is um, a gift from, from nature, our ability to adapt and to acclimate to environments. So I, I, I see this – I see it like the, the horrific, terrible aspects of life are there, and they're enough to make you want to just give up at times, especially for animal rights activists and people who um, are very empathic and sensitive like us. But at the same time, I see the grand design. There's a greater picture here that it's 
I don't know, man. It's it's fundamentally green. It's not black. It's not bleak. It's not death. It's it's fundamentally um like like a like a giant um. I'm just picturing like a like a nursery, like an orb. What's the word? A uh, um, I can't think of the word. Uh, based, I'm I'm thinking that it's this, this giant like garden of life that is continuously sprouting and, and spreading out seeds. And through panspermia, I believe that's how life originated on this planet and, and through, throughout the cosmos. So I, I see everything organically and biologically, and, and I see the universe itself as a living system. So I, I know that like there is untold, unheard of amounts, unfathomable amounts of, of horror and atrocity and pain and suffering. And I see it and I, and I, I, I'm fully conscious and aware of it, but at the same time, I also see human beings and individuals fighting it, and there and life itself is, is anti-entropic, anti and you know anti-entropy. Like it, it is is continuously fighting against the the degradation of the cells. Um, you know, the second law of thermodynamics, everything's winding down. Uh, at the same time, like everything is also. Uh, you know, proliferating and, and, and expanding outward and evolving and adapting and surviving and meeting the needs and, and nature is nurturing us. It's not just out to kill us. It's out to feed us and it's out to clothe us and it's out to make us smarter. And it's also in the business of, um, you know, of evolving us and advancing us. So you got to look at the big picture. If you, you're looking at um, nature and you're seeing it from that really um, – negative cynical perspective i would say that's that's myopic and that's only one part i wouldn't disagree with you but i would say that that's only one portion of the big picture the larger picture is you know that we are evolving that we are here that we have been successful that the apes primates specifically homo sapiens have been so successful that we've we've graduated to this to this stage that we are looking back contemplating our own existence contemplating the origins of of the universe and and we have technologies and machinery and instruments that can actually uh detect this stuff you know um and and read like what what happened 14 you know billion years ago it's it's incredible yeah well yeah and see here's what i would say is the very fact that we can contemplate that we can even think about the value of our own existence the very fact that we have that luxury is an amazing thing you know because that that right there just shows the power of that we have developed you know that that we can actually analyze it and consider the question because i don't think i don't i i i would say that very now the key one key one thing straight very few species probably live long enough to even get to that point to contemplate this Second of all, very few humans of our species actually contemplate this stuff. How many actually consider it? How many are just these mindless uh, zombies that do things without thinking? But there are a few yeah, of us. Yeah. There, are, there are a few of us like you and me that we're true philosophers, and we really want to dig always, deep in, into all this. I think it will always be like that. I think um, you know, as a whole, we are – it doesn't seem like we're evolving cons consistently, especially ethically and morally. We're not evolving consistently. Our technology has just far surpassed our our ethical, um, you know, uh, the, our, our our fundamental ethics are, are completely flawed, and and we're you know we're nearsighted and we we are selfish and completely egocentric. But at the same time, there are select individuals, and there are you know uh, pockets and facets within 
the culture all throughout history that have excelled that have that have created in- incredible designs and inventions and have advanced our culture and, and I think of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment you know and how far we've come uh, due to these great uh, men and women uh, um, and, and great thinkers so um, it, it's like we're moving along and and as a whole many people would say we're the we're, we're the worst thing that's ever happened to this planet we're a blight on 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 the earth and we are just um we're the scourge of of you know of the world like we, we literally rape and destroy and kill and and consume everything and we're just we're just a bane to existence and i'm like well yeah that's true uh we are and many human societies are especially patriarchal male dominated uh, yeah. societies the warlike culture but at the same time um you know look at how far we've come in, in preventing diseases and treating illnesses and um, just, just look at how we have uh, spread across the globe and we are also very successful. So what we do with it is entirely up to us. It's, it's completely in our hands um, whether we're going to be like the, the healthy mold or like the, the, the healthy uh, like plants and, and, and vegetation, like, like the moss that grows everywhere and it's beautiful and it's green and it, and it actually – uh, it produces more life and it helps – it gives like a habitat for other species or we're like the, the black mold that actually grows and is unhealthy and it actually makes – it's toxic and it's poison to any who inhale it and we spread everywhere and, and just um, dominate at like, like a cancer and we and we don't um, we don't live in symbiosis with our environment. So it's entirely up to us which route we take. Yeah, well, it's very interesting because – uh, the ironic thing is the people who wake up and realize that humans are a blight on the planet and they realize like those people who understand that the problem of human society and what we're causing to uh, the planet and, and all these other animals, those people who understand it, those people are not the problem. In fact, because they see it, they are the solution. And unfortunately, the trouble is, even though those people are the highest potential, those people who tend to be vegans, by the way, you'll you'll find <laughs> you'll find you'll find. I mean, almost a lot of antinatalists point out what humans do to other animals, and that's one of their primary reasons why they're an antinatalist. But so those people are not the problem. In fact, they end up being part of the solution because they wake up and change their ways, and so. Their existence, I mean, is a wonderful thing. The trouble is that they end up being a very small minority, whereas the rest, yeah. the rest are completely brainless. They appear to be. You know what I mean? I just, I just have to stop, and, and it's just my my own conscience is, is speaking to me. That how probably sanctimonious and egocentric we sound at this point. Um, we probably sound very uh, self-aggrandizing. And uh, I just – I don't know how to not come off that way when I, I do feel that um, we are thinking and, and focusing on the most relevant and pertinent issues, and, and most people aren't because most people are uh, – you know, through no fault of their own. They're, they're born into a society that they are uh, inculcated into the idea of, um, of family and work and career and, and money and pleasure and whatever it might be, sports and entertainment. And, and these things are, are just, uh, sorry. And, and, and petty, 
yeah, like I wish I could clone, you know, all the great philosophers and, and the great um, humanitarians and the great um, thinkers and, and the, the, the radicals and the revolutionaries and, and just, you know, have more of them as opposed to just the breeders and, the, you know, the, um, just right. the, common, the common typical average everyday person is not really well educated and it, and it has to do with they don't have the, the luxury of doing so. They're not um, – they don't have the time or they don't have, um, you know, um, the, the, the environments that, that are supportive of that. Uh, but then again, I would say that no one with the advent of the internet, we, we have no excuse. Like you can literally look up something, re- research something and learn things like at lightning speed now, where, whereas we never could do that before, even with the great Alexandrian libraries, you know, all the scrolls and all the ancient wisdom of, of all the, of, of antiquity, um, you could access that, but no way near as fast as Google. I mean, Google has become God. Yeah. Like, literally, you can ask it any question you want, and you can get an answer <laughs> like in, in a minute's time. So that's that's pretty prolific and profound. And all I'm saying is, um, if you don't know about something and you have the internet, you really have no yeah. excuse because you can learn it like in, in five minutes. Yeah, it's true. It's I mean, the, the internet has changed the game entirely. Because now, see, here's what used to happen. If somebody held a minority view, whether that view is right or wrong, but when some, like, for example, I find people on the internet who, who say, I thought I was the only atheist, or I thought I was the only vegan, or I thought I was the only anti-natalist, you know. They didn't know that there were other people like them because all those people tend to be hundreds uh, of thousands of miles away. You know, but through the internet, right, they right. find that this this small group of people that thinks like them on a certain issue. The internet has changed our ability to communicate and break out of the fact that we are so different and don't fit in where where we're at. Because what happens is, to me, that makes me feel better rather than just being isolated, being the only person who thinks the way I do in Lee Summit. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in Lee, in this town who is anything like me. You know? Sure. It's uh, yeah, and, and so everything we're talking about um, represent actually a lot of uh, positive advancements and and things that um that are encouraging things that we can uh you know that 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 can really fuel um our philosophy uh, in terms of whether it is life centered or uh, I don't know, um, annihilation centered, like, like geared toward the, the extinguishing of life, like whether we're necro philosophers or we're bio, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I was thinking we're, about we're bio, we're biocentric, necrocentric or biocentric because yeah. <laughs> um, to, to say that, you know, better to have never existed, um, better to have never existed at all than, than to suffer and blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, but it's not only, we're not just suffering, man. We're also contributing and we're also improving, um, you know, improving things and, and trying to make a difference and trying to make advancements. So you gotta look, you gotta be realistic and holistic about it. I've always said that it's not an accurate, um, perception of reality because you're literally only fixated on the negative and you're not seeing the potential and what could happen. And, and we are all subject to time and chance. It's not, things don't always just happen like clockwork. There's trillions of different factors always, you know, in, in our lives that the, the most unexpected yeah. thing could happen and you, you never planned for it or prepared. Yeah. And yet it, it could be something that is, that is fortuitous or it could be something that is horribly, 
you know, um, damaging and, and you know, bad, we're subject to bad luck. Yeah. But um, the point is, it's it's a gamble, and and that's the amazing thing. It's that it's not all set in stone. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So literally, we do the best we can, and it's okay to have hope. It's not unrealistic to have hope because uh, life is filled with so many variables. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, and this is an important distinction because I think now this is something I have to mention here because I'm sure you know this, Poffo, that when people come across the, you know this antinatalism philosophy, what they do is they say, well, if they say, well, if you hate life so much, why don't you kill yourself? And people say this, and, and I'm going to explain why this attitude is wrong. Okay, first of all. It is not that we necessarily hate our own life. In fact, I think many people would agree that their life is happy, but they also understand that they are an exception. You know, they're they're the lucky ones because they know of all the other suffering of all these other people. So it's not about us personally and how good or bad we think our lives have been. You know, that's not what it's about. Um, and second of all, ju- just because it may be better to never have been does not mean that it's better to just suddenly stop existing now. There is a difference. For example, and here's how I would say is it because good has come from the suffering in my life and it's led me to become the person I am now – it's a waste if I do not put that to good use, if I do not put what I have learned to good use to make some kind of a difference before I die. Then my suffering was pointless if I just kill myself now. And so that's the thing is we're not – it's not about uh, people committing suicide. That's, this isn't some kind of suicide cult. You know? it, seems like, it seems like a really oversimplification of the, uh, of the notion of the idea that, um, oh, you're against – um, you're against procreation, you're against reproduction, the reproduction of life, that means you don't value life. That means you hate existence and you, um, and you, you have no you know, respect for, uh, for biological life. It's the exact opposite. It's because we care so much about biological life. We care so much about the experience of those individual organisms um, that we, we, we don't want to su- unnecessarily subject them to um, any further um, – any further burden, uh, organismic burden, as Peter would say, you know, um, he, he per, what does he call it? Pernicious. Uh, uh, he's got all his own terms. You know, he calls it pernicious, pernicious something. I can't remember. Um, but he's got his own terms for, or, you know, organismic burden. That's, that's the biotheistic, uh, version of sin, you know, essentially, which to me is animal agriculture and, <laughs> and, and reproducing yeah. and, and religion. Um, but he doesn't see it that way. But like, uh, it's it seems like you and I, as sensitive as we are and as acutely aware of the atrocities as we are, we still maintain some kind of a positive, um, just a positive perspective and outlook that um, that regards uh, life as being filled with um, with purpose, uh, not necessarily from the get go that that life. That all life inherently, automatically has some predetermined, predestined right. purpose, but that that we as as conscious organisms um, can 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 literally yeah. uh, choose to make 
to to make the best of the situation, and right. we can give it we can give it purpose. We can bring meaning to a situation that otherwise may have may may not have um you may have had a different uh, you know out, outcome essentially. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah. Go ahead. Um. Yeah. Here's how I would describe it: is okay. Um. Our purpose is not, for example, it's not a predetermined purpose by the plan of somebody else. Because that would be like saying that your purpose is whatever your parent wanted your life to be about. No, it's right. not what your parent wanted your life to be about, nor if there was a God that created the universe. It's not what that God wants your purpose to be. Your purpose is what is something you will know after you've had your experiences in life. And then, you know, then oh, I think one of two things happens. People either do get depressed from the suffering and they end up killing themselves or they they want to make some good. At the very least, their purpose becomes to reduce the suffering and to not repeat to others what was done to them. And so they become an example to other people and hopefully make a difference. So everybody ends up with. Some of us end up with a purpose. The rest of us get depressed and kill ourselves. It's kind of a, an ironic I, twist. I wanted to say, and I wanted to say, um, if really, uh, you know, and really pertains to the situation. The lead singer of Lincoln Park just killed himself this morning. Um, and I never cared for that band, but I mean, again, it's 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 terrible. It's a tragedy, and then of course it's drug related. It always has to do with drugs and alcohol. Um, and I just wanted to make that point that you were saying some people get depressed, they kill themselves, or they turn to drugs and alcohol. They always will, yeah. will seek out an escape because they don't necessarily want to die. They just want they want to ease their suffering. They want they want to um, you know. Uh, comfort and, and, and yeah. placate that, that loneliness yeah. or that, that feeling of unf being unfulfilled. So that's why drugs and alcohol are such a crazy problem. We have all these addictive sub substance abuse problems because people are suffering. Right. They want to live, yeah. but they don't want to live in the, in this, in these conditions. And they don't, they don't know any, they don't have the co proper coping mechanisms. They don't have the support from family and friends. Right. So they turn to, um, you know, substances and, and then it and yeah. then it causes more problems. That, that's a good point, Poffo, because, yeah, I mean, obviously so many people, they, you know, they turn to alcohol, they, tur they turn to drugs, both legal and illegal. They turn to sex, they turn to religion. They look for something else that, that drowns out their suffering. They find something else sure. that numbs them to their suffering. And that's the thing about it is – the very fact that so many have to do that obviously shows the greatness of the suffering, how common it really is. Absolutely. I, I still, I'm still, you know, in shock, uh, like Robin Williams, that, that he killed himself, you know, like the, this man that, that, that brought so much joy and laughter and, uh, and levity to, to our, our society um, was in so much pain and, and no one knew. I mean, some people always had the idea that he was bipolar because it was his comedy acts and how he yeah. his manic behavior. But I, I had no idea. I was completely just, you know, I was, it was devastating. And it's, it's just the irony of it that someone like that could be in such, you know, excruciating psychological, emotional torment that they literally can't, they can't see another way out. They can't envision, um, you, you know, going another second, another, another hour. And and that's that's horrible because um he, he had he had the money he had the family he had everything uh, that that would have helped him and yet he couldn't see it 
So it's very important that that we talk about perspective and perception because the antinatalist perception, let's see, perception of antinatalists and the perception they ha- they hold themselves is often generally very negative and it's misunderstood. Um, so I, I don't know. I am pro life as you are. Um, but I'm pro positive experiences in life. So if right. you are having absolutely the most horrific, you know, emotional, psychological pain, and you and you've suffered abuse, and and literally, the the ethical thing to do, the the um, the merciful, you know, compassionate thing to do is to end that life. Then I'm all for it. Okay, it's not. It's about the quality of life. It's about the individual. It's not just about. Um, it, it, it can't be simplified and dumbed down to the idea of just we can't kill. Let's kill nothing because we, as you know, our, our opponents would say all the time, we kill microorganisms and bacteria and we kill plants all the time to sustain ourselves. So life feeds on life. Life um, in, the, in the experience of life, um, life comes into existence. It comes out of existence, but it, it always transforms into something else. So essentially nothing ever really dies. That's the pantheist perspective. Yeah, yeah um, it's very interesting. Yeah, what I wanted to say about that is, you know, I tend to like, you know, like, okay, I come pretty close to being a Jane. I'm pretty, I'm pretty close. You know what I mean? Um, But see, yeah, it's true that we cannot um, stop killing things entirely. Obviously, all the microorganisms or accidentally stepping on bugs when we walk through the grass. And we could I stop think, killing big things. We could stop killing the yes. bigger organisms, the, the land yeah. animals, land mammals. Yeah. That's totally easy to do. But go ahead, yeah, 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 exactly. Because here's what I think anybody uh, should be able to hopefully understand this. Okay, now somebody can, for example, they could they could accidentally step on a bug that they don't see as they're walking to work or something. You know what I mean? You, you, you may, you may end up when you're driving somewhere, you may, there may be a squirrel that runs in front of your car that you don't even see it, that you end up killing. Those kind of things are not avoidable. They're not because accidents happen, but no, but like nobody just goes and has an accident where they kill a large animal like a human or an elephant or, you know, like you, you just, it's not like you're going to see this thing. It's not like you're going to accidentally step on an elephant and it dies. Like that just doesn't happen. Let's, let's, let's try to simplify this for a minute. Like we know that we know that death is a part of life and some, and many deaths are accidental. And, and I would say there's, there's two, obviously the extenuating circumstances, I would say three, um, self-defense. If you're, if you have to kill something to defend your own person, your own body, um, to protect yourself or to protect someone else you, that you care about, that's something that's a direct flat threat to your body, bodily harm. Um, so self-defense, it's completely understandable. It's justifiable. Um, uh, accidentally, because just because of our sheer size, our scale, as you were mentioning, we're, we're larger organisms. We're sort of in the middle in terms of the, the organisms on this planet, um, we're not that large, but we're not that small either. We're right in the middle. So there's going to be smaller life forms that we're going to accidentally kill without even knowing it. So we can't be held accountable for that. We're not culpable to that. Um, so we're not going to you know, freak out about it and fixate on that. We, we still honor and respect life. If we do it accidentally, you know, we, we feel bad and then we move on and that's it because it, it wasn't intentional. And – Let's see. Um, the third was would be 
killing a mercy killing, you know, uh, committing, you know, extinguishing life, the suscitation of life um, for the, for the purpose, for, for the sake of that life. If someone is in excruciating pain, if someone's in, if an animal is, is there's nothing that you can do and the humane thing to do is to euthanize it. So those justifiable forms of, of death, of, of killing. Um, aside from that, oh, man, your any audio is, yeah, I could not hear you for like three or four uh, seconds. Well, you may have to repeat it. <laughs> yeah, ho hopefully, hopefully it was recorded, but I, I guess I, I could summarize real quick and say, um, there, there are three justifications for, for killing, for death, you know, self-defense, um, you know, accidentally or uh, mercy killing. That's all I was saying was, and and those things are perfectly understandable. Other than that, there is no justification for for murder or death um, on, on any level. And and if you come up with a you come up with some argument, I guarantee you it will fall under those three categories. If it's outside of those three categories, then you're a carnist or you're a selfish person or you you really don't understand uh, the nature of existence of reality. But the point is. Death is a part of life. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid it in those circumstances, but we can absolutely avoid it in every other circumstance. Yeah. Or, or natural death. I guess the fourth thing would be dying of old age, dying of a sickness, um, dying of disease, but we're not directly contributing to that. That's, that's part of the natural process of entropy of, of life forms as the telomeres degradate and we get diseases or, or natural disaster or something. So life happens and there's death in life. But I would say that overall – the overarching theme of life and experience is is more life, is is more experience, is growth and and um, expansion and yeah. you know and education and, and gaining knowledge and wisdom and these things I believe are um, they they trump the the negative aspects of life. We, we can never we can't escape death right now, but I think eventually, like any other disease. We will. We'll be able to conquer it. And I keep mentioning the telomeres. And anybody that doesn't understand that, look into the research. Yeah, like I think. Well, from, from causing aging. Go ahead. Yeah, what I was going to say is basically there are things. Yeah, to sum it all up, there are things that can be avoided and things that can't. There are types of death that can be avoided and that's what we're focused on and there's those things that can't be because we know Poffo, you and i know everybody if they're honest with themselves they know something will kill them one way or another it may not be sure. some it may not be another human being that murders them no it one no one gets out of this alive right <laughs> no one gets yeah. out alive in this yeah yeah, yeah. basically but, ev but everyone gets to live but everyone gets to live before they die so think of it. Is it really? Is it really so? Neg is it really so pessimistic and negative? Oh, if you're just fixating on the on the death aspect, on the on the end result, well, yeah. But what happens before you die? You live, you live, and you experience whether it's for a short. Uh, what is it? The shortest lifespan is a fruit fly or something. Um, the shortest lifespan to a I think a turtle or or a whale or um you know or one of these great big redwoods or or, or Methuselah the the tree that's like over. 2000 years old and and so it doesn't matter the existence happens it's going it's going to happen to you and i think we should embrace existence and 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 make the best of it make the most of it while we're here since we're already here we got to get to this point though man i was about to get to it if you could choose 
if you could choose to come into existence or not, would you? That's the real philosophical existential question. Um, because we're, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of, yeah, you know, going around and around. But but let's 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 explore this. Yeah. If you if you Chandler Klebs had the choice to be or not to be, would you? Go ahead and and choose to come into existence, to suffer the things you've suffered, to experience what you're experiencing now, or would you say, no, you know what? I'd rather opt out. I'd rather not. I'd rather not be a part of it. It was it was too much bullshit. It was too difficult. Knowing what I know now, I I if I had the choice, the choice would I just say I'd rather not. I'd rather not exist at all. Yeah, I yeah I would say that I would rather not. Knowing, but because like knowing all that's involved, and now I would say, Poffo, that my answer may not be that of what other people would say, because obviously right. that that does depend on your, your how your life actually went. Um, they, yeah, because some people do experience a a lot of a lot of of joy, a lot of pleasure with very minimal suffering. It does happen. And then others, they experience a, a greater ratio of suffering to where even their pleasures are nothing. It does, you know what I mean? So, so it, that you personally, yeah. you, you personally, because of what you've experienced and because of what you've been exposed to, you would choose to not exist. Yeah. And that's, I totally, I totally understand that. I totally understand yeah. that. And I would say in response, I hope that you recognize and you realize how much of an impact, how much, how influential your life has been the 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 contributions you've made and how many the ripple effect of how many other lives you've touched just through your podcast just through your shows just through through um our friendship how it's helped me how it's helping me right now so whether even if even if you would choose not to not be here I'm glad that you're here I'm sure glad you're here you know what I'm saying so I'm I'm thankful yeah. for that I'm I'm thankful that you don't have that choice <laughs> but but again we we got we got to ask that question because I, we got to find out about whether whether nature knew what it was doing or not, you know, that's what we got to like sort of determine or do, does nature know best or do we know best for the last like minute and a half, like everything went blank and I couldn't even hear you. So I just, I just kept it going. I turned off my camera for a little while so I wouldn't use as much bandwidth, but I hope that all, everything you just said was, uh, was recorded cause I couldn't hear anything, but we'll, we'll just keep going. <laughs> I think, I think there's, no, I, there's some yeah. weird, weird forces at work on this podcast. Like the universe. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know what's going on, man. Yeah, we it's got like, disconnected. Yeah, technical difficulties, people. Let's not worry about it. Accidents happen, like we were talking about. Yeah, and I would life just about, is yeah, irregular, man. Right. Least, yeah, but say yeah. it one more time, man. If it, maybe it's yeah, really, really yeah. important. So say it. Yeah. See, see, basically, Poff, when you tell me that I'm in a good influence and that it, it's making a difference positively to people, the hangouts I do or the things I write, it, things like that. That is what me, makes me want to continue my existence and keep on living to do these things. Even if I would have rather never have been at all, the fact is I have been, and I need to make the most of it. Because once I die, all of the stuff I learned is lost, which is part of why my focus on recording things is so important because only the things that are recorded or written down will preserve past my right. death. So right. I'm going to, I'm going to extend past my death. I'll still have influence even after I'm dead. <laughs> I agree. And that's in, in the, in the, 
in the philosophy of biopan, that's how we live on. That's how we live forever. Either genetically, if you're stupid, genetically <laughs> through your children, uh, you pass on your, your genes and you basically are reproducing other smaller versions of you that then go out and do whatever they're going to do in the world, whether, you know, good or bad, or um, through our influence, through the art that we create, the books we write, the, the people that we've touched, the, the you know, how we've contributed. Um, it's, it's our character and that's, that's how we live on. But, um, you know, a, a sort of atomically, um, you know, on a molecular level, like, you know, nothing ever really dies. Everything, energy just keeps getting transformed. So we become a part of the tree, the grass, the flowers, you know, the air, whatever. Um, we always live on in some other form, just not in the same coherent form. But that's the pantheistic uh, view of death. Now, let's turn it around for a second. Ask me the same question, okay? If I had the choice. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I choose to exist. Would I choose to exist or not exist or not be knowing everything that I know now about the world, knowing what I know about my life? This is very, this is very complex. This is very nuanced. So give me, give me a chance to just get, get this out, okay? For myself, for myself, if I had the choice, I would rather not exist. I would rather not come into being because of the things I've experienced, because of the things I've seen, because of what I've suffered, just because of the difficulties in life, because of all the shit that I've been through, okay, I would rather not exist if I had that choice. But that's that's if it was up to me, and that's for if if it was only for my sake. If you were to ask me for me, what I want for me. But knowing what I know now, and knowing what I know about who I am, and what I think I'm I've done in my life, and what I'm trying to do, for the sake of others, for the sake of that stupid cat sleeping on the ground right there. For the sake of of uh, of my mother, who is now doing um, holistic alternative methods of cancer treatment due to my influence, for the sake of my girlfriend, who I who I tried to help when she was in a in a rotten situation, and every other person I've tried to help, and every other animal I've rescued, and every time I do activism, every person that I've counseled and played therapist to, and influenced, and and tried to do good, and for the sake of anyone who reads my books. I would choose to be here for that influence because I believe that I'm, I'm doing the, the, the best that I can do with, with, with the talents and the gifts and the abilities, the skills that I have. I'm trying to do as, as much good as possible. So for, for the sake of the world, I would be here. And, I, and, I, and then there's, there's another aspect to this too, but I would choose to be here for the sake of others. If it was, for my, if it was up to me, if you were to ask me for my sake, I would choose to not be here. But I would be here for others because I think that I've done some good and I'm trying to do some good. And the other aspect to this, okay. It's, it's okay. This is the, this was the thing that I really wanted to get to in this, in this podcast is existence. Good. Is it inherently intrinsically good? Like, is it good or is it evil? Is it bad? Is it all, is it, is the, is the struggle and the suffering and the, the torment and the pain psychologically, emotionally, physically, all of it, is it, is it worth it? Does it outweigh the positive? I don't know, but here's the point right here. Okay. I'm going to bring it home. Since I'm already in existence, since I'm already here and I have no say over that, that was done without my consent, but I'm already here and I know 
world a better place. And I feel like I have answers and I feel like there's some good that I can do. I'm going to do as much good as I can. And I'm going to say, I'll stay, I'll stick around. I'll do what I can since I'm already here while I'm here. And I don't want to die until I've actually accomplished something. I, I don't want my life to end until I've, until I've earned, you know, uh, my, my existence because so many people have helped me along the way and have supported me and provided for me. And, and I'm, I'm saying not nature itself. I don't owe it to nature, but I owe it to the people who are alive and the people who have, who have, and the people who have died, the people who have passed on my grandmother, both my grandmothers and uh, people who have, have helped me along the way. I would say for their sake, I, I have to keep going and I have to, I have to still be here because, um, I gotta, I gotta do something with, with this existence. I gotta make something out of myself. I gotta make something out of my life. Um, I have to, I have to do something extraordinary um, because people have gone to extraordinary lengths to help me, and they've sacrificed a lot to help me. So I owe it to them. So what I'm saying is, it's like that in that movie Kingdom of Heaven, and there's that phrase above the um, the blacksmith uh, Orlando Bloom's character. It says. I don't know exactly what it, what it says. I'm just going to paraphrase, but it says, what, what am I if I don't, unless I make the world a better place? Like, what am I, you know, how can I be a man if I don't leave the world a better place than, than how I found it? So that is my philosophy is that I would rather not be here for myself, but I'd rather be here for others. And since I'm already here, I don't, I don't want to get taken out. My biggest fear is not death, Chandler. It's 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 a wasted life. My biggest fear is dying too soon before I've accomplished everything I need to accomplish, before I get my shit together, before I get my books published. I don't value my life because I value all life, but I value my life because there's so much I need to do and there's so much that, that needs to be done and there's so much that I can contribute to and and I believe I can make a difference. So that's why I choose to remain alive and I will take care of my body and I will, I will continue this existence. So we're both antinatalists and yeah. we, I think yeah. we pretty much have a, a good um, positive view on, on existence. So Yeah, I, I, and I would, I would agree with you. I would say the exact same in my situation, although for my own sake – I would rather not have been. If I only consider what I want, if I only consider my own experience, right. my own desires, then right. absolutely there's no point in my existence. See, but, but, but they're, inter they're interconnected, no. aren't they? They're intertwined. Because then I say, but if I wasn't around those feral cats that I adopted, they would have never – what would have happened to them? Or if I wasn't around, what would have happened to, to that person that almost killed themselves and I, and I saved them that day and I talked them out of it? What would have happened? So I think – it's almost like intertwined. You can't escape it. Like, yeah. you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be here. But then again, I would because look, like if I wasn't here, this is, um, it's a wonderful life. This is the great story of it's a wonderful yeah, life. Yeah, uh, I love that you know, movie. Yeah, and, and it's like he he he's shown by the angel. He's shown what a life would be like if he had never existed. It's a beautiful movie, Jimmy Stewart. Um, and and I love that man because yeah. like the world. I think would be a lesser place if it wasn't for people like you and me. And I don't think that that's cocky or conceited or yeah. self-aggrandizing because I get accused yeah. of this constantly. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. It, yeah. Cause you bring up that movie. It's a wonderful life. A lot of people like that movie, by the way. Now the point is George uh, Bailey in that story, he was given the opportunity to see if events uh, of people he knew what their life was like 
if he had never existed. He was able to see that. However, let's suppose there's another person who was not like George Bailey, but somebody who was who only caused pain to everyone around them. And then they have that same experience, and then they find out the truth that people were better off without them. See, it can go that way too. Sure, yeah. And, and um, so in the end, yeah. you, it's like the value of your, of your life is something that you may not even have access to, but other people, and whether you benefited them, they know whether your life is worth it to them, regardless of whether it's worth it to you. And I think we're that's not, powerful. We're and, not alone in this existence. We're all, yeah. we're all interconnected and everything is interdependent on everything else. So um, that's what we have to remember is uh, everything we do affects everything else. And, and you know, you can isolate yourself. You can go out and live in the mountains somewhere. I mean, that sounds like paradise to me. But uh, but the truth is, you know, you'll still be affecting your, your immediate surroundings, you know, the, the plants, the animals that you interact with. Um, you know, that's the one thing, um, uh, a correlation, you know, like everything in life literally is connected to everything else. Yeah. So we have to recognize that. So, so we have a responsibility um, once we're here to do the best that we can, um, try to do as much good as we can in the limited amount of time that we, that we have because life is transitory and everything is impermanent, you know. I always say that, that um, you know, everything, everything fades um, you know, everything, uh, crumbles and, and, you know, nothing lasts forever, but nothing ever really dies because everything is always influencing everything else and everything is transforming everything else. And the people in my life that you remember Ethan and, and, you know, we had that episode with him and he, he's going to be with me forever. And, uh, the, the people that, that have, that have touched me and that I've touched, um, they, it lives on as long as someone's alive to carry on their memory. Um, yeah you know, those, those human beings, those influential humans will never die yeah. because their, their yeah. character is remembered, their, their strength, their, yeah. their tenacity and will. And yeah. that's, what's important is that yeah. you, that's how you, that's how you become legend, man. That's how you create yeah. a legacy. Yeah. You said something very important, Paula. You said something, uh, let me see if I can remember exactly how, how this was, um, that your greatest fear was not death, but an unfulfilled life. And see the tragedy. Let's take Ethan for example, since you mentioned him. The tragedy with him was not that he died, because we all die eventually. The trouble is, there's so many unfulfilled goals that he had, things he would have done had he not been killed by a car, you know. Yeah. And that is the tragedy there. I mean, I think that <clears throat> it's tragic for us to not fulfill our life once we learn what our purpose is and know what we want to do to make a, uh, the world a better place. Then to not get to fulfill that and have something kill us early, that's the tragedy. And I right. see that. Now, let's, here's something. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you talk about say, but let's, get, let's talk about purpose when, you, when you're done with that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, well um, – there was something else that I wanted to consider. Now, we have evaluated the fact that our own lives, at least at this time, are not worth it for our own sake. But it's worth it to us if we are benefiting other people for the sake of other people. And that's where we get into the altruism. Because, Paulfo, you and I have talked about this altruism and people who claim that everything we do is entirely selfish – that we that we only do things to benefit ourselves, um, but that's simply flatly false. That's just not true. There is altruism. 
there are things we do with no with no promise of reward. And I think this is something that needs to be challenged. Well, um, straight up, like I was having the conversation with you before we started the, the broadcast, and uh, I think an old friend of mine, um, I think it's an old friend of mine from college, um, mentioned that she's thinking about going vegetarian. And I didn't jump right to the thing and say, well, let's screw vegetarianism, just go vegan. No, I was, I supported it and I was encouraging and I was like, that's great. You know, uh, have you seen what the health yet? Because she started mentioning uh, some health issues and how, you know, it's so much better for her. So she doesn't have these inflammatory reactions and stuff. So I mentioned what the hell. And immediately the point is I was on the phone with you having a very important conversation. I immediately stopped and said, I have to respond to her. I have to respond. I have to, I have to let her know that there are resources there and then I'm, I'm going to be there for her. And I, I expressed that. I said, I'm going to be, I'm here for you. And if you need any advice or, you know, I can, I can send you links uh, to resources. I, and I have a plethora of websites. I can, this is what I do, you know? Um, but the point is that to me at that moment, why not for any reciprocation I'm going to get down the road, not because it makes me feel good, not because on some level, I think I'm not a good person if I don't do that and I have to do that in order to maintain a healthy self-esteem or something or to validate my own existence. I literally just feel it's the right thing to do and I, and this can save animals, this can help the environment, this can maybe help her um, her physiolog- you know, physiologically help her in terms of health. I know that it's the, the good, moral, ethical, just thing to do. So I just choose to do it. Yeah, it has nothing to do with me. That's that's nothing about that. That's selfish. So that right there was a perfect example of how this this concept, this uh, rationalization or justification yeah. that you know everything that we do is selfish. That everything everyone do, does is inherently selfish, even when it's unselfish. It's still for selfish <laughs> reasons. You're still doing it for you. Well, that's not true because mothers mothers yeah. are are the uh, antithesis of that uh, of that idea. Everything they do. Yeah. They do for their children, for the next – good mothers, let's say. For the next generation, they do it for yeah. their children. They sacrifice and they sacrifice yeah. and they give their all and they're not – they're probably not going to see the return in their lifetime. I mean some will say you, you should have kids so the kids can take care of you when you get older. But I'm like that's a pretty damn selfish right. way of yeah, looking at that, it too. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just I- saying mothers completely shatter that, that myth because I feel like – and in the animal kingdom as well, we, we, they naturally do this and they, and they just, whether it's ethically or just a, a biological instinctual drive, nature has put it in us to be magnanimous, to, yeah. to, to give of ourselves, you know? And, yeah. And here's, here's another example. Cause let's consider the ultimate example of sacrifice. One where somebody literally goes into a situation that kills them in order to save someone else. Right. Like I, I've heard of this story about uh, about a man jumping on a grenade and sure. having it blow him up, but yeah. but to save, but to save his fellow soldiers, to save um, yes. the others around him, because the the, the density of the, the body it'll it completely destroys right. him. But you've covered up that explosion and, and saved, yeah, right. uh-huh. yeah, or, or taken a bullet, you know, or yeah. every hero, every yeah. comic book movie. Yeah. The uh, Dawn of Justice, and he he sacrifices himself. He's holding the kryptonite yeah. spear, and he, and he plunges yeah. it into Doomsday, and uh, and then he even 
pulls him closer to, to make sure that he kills him, and he knew yeah. that he was going to in his oh, own life. Yeah, every okay. hero story. Off, off, Good? Uh, okay, yeah. Forgive me. But there's a story that I must tell you, okay, because this relates directly to you. Does it involve unicorns or ponies? No, <laughs> not this time. I'm saving that for later. No. <laughs> okay, right. so here's the deal. All right, shoot. There was a story. I'm all ears. This was in the this was in the news. This was a, a big news story. Uh, it was about a movie theater shooting. I don't know. You may have heard of this, where some guy who thought I think he, this guy thought he was the Joker from Batman. Yeah, and, yeah, the, and, bat, the Batman shooting. Yeah, yeah. And so there, how the story goes is that he he fired several shots, but here's what happened. So there, there were men, there were men who took the bullets and to shield their girlfriends. Yeah, and and that is an interesting thing because that right there is an example where they're using their own body as a shield, where they know they're going to be killed, but it's to protect somebody else. That's another fine example of an altruism. And let's get one thing straight, Bafo. When somebody dies doing something for someone else's benefit, then they know they're not going to get a reward. There course, is no reward then. I, I, the only argument, I guess, if I could play devil's advocate, is to say that somehow um, they're, they're, the, the, it's so ingrained in their psyche that they're just going to respond and react that way because they, they want to be remembered as, um, as a – as an altruistic, uh, self-sacrificing person, so they, so they're still doing it for selfish reasons. But um, so that's the argument there. But uh, there are, there are just just like yeah. hundreds, thousands yeah. of cases of this, and and the greatest stories that we tell that we tell each other, and the greatest um, greatest novels, and and, and yeah. the, the greatest heroes are the ones who give up their all and give everything, you know, for the sake of uh, of their tribe yeah. or of their family or, or whatever. I just watched uh you know the last planet of the apes movie and i don't want to give anything away but there's just a lot of of that 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 um notion is in there man of uh you know of of altruism and um giving your all you know for the sake of others for the sake of those who are coming after you um that's what life does that's what humans do and i i there's no there's no way to um you know to to verify to justify that that the idea that that these other philosophers and thinkers are saying is that um, that everything we do is, is self-serving and it's completely egocentric. Yeah. It's not, there, not true. Yeah, there's far too much evidence to, that shows us that people really do have altruism, stuff where it's obvious they're not going to get a reward. And, let, and let's think, Poffo. Okay, now, for example, I'll just use myself as an example, though much of this will apply to you as well. Actually, this will apply both to both of us greatly. Okay, now, we're both vegan – not because we get some kind of reward out of it. I mean, there's the, the, there's the health benefits, which are just a side effect. Mm-hmm. That, but that's an afterthought that happened after we already went vegan for the animals. It's not, yeah, it's not the reason I went vegan at all. Right. And so that's the thing is – and additionally, um, so going vegan and being a vegan activist especially 
causes us an immense amount of suffering because of how other people right. misunderstand us and treat us and falsely accuse us, the social stigma, the social situation. People get disowned from their families for going vegan, like seriously. I was about, I was about to say it's not going to get many points with my family. I'm already estranged from my family, and this is this is one more thing that they will never understand. I mean let's just say in general they, they don't understand it right now. Um, and, and it's, it's something else that's causing isolation and separation and, and yeah. you know, furthering that, that, uh, that, that gulf yeah. that's there. It's, it's not, and I, I, it's not for my own sake. It's not, it's not for, what the fuck? It's not for some kind of, um, I've heard this, I've, I've been accused of this, that like you, you're making these posts and you're doing all this stuff because you want to appear so self-righteous and, um, and and you like being this moral authority, so you can judge other people. And, and Peter has said this to me: is you can be so sanctimonious and and judge others and uh, and look down on others because you know you, you like because it makes you look good. You're vegan because it makes you look good. I, that is the furthest from the truth. And I don't I don't know any vegan that that, that thinks that way. Uh, it's it's so ridiculous, man. Yeah, like, it's yeah. literally for the animals. For the animals, that's it, man. It's yeah. for the animals yeah. and for the environment. And, yeah. and for my health, it's I'm doing. I'm glad it's right. it's it's you know I'm gonna live longer and and it's gonna uh, benefit me health wise because I don't want to suffer and I don't want to experience these uh, uh, you know these these illnesses and um, you know all these degenerative diseases that, that that come about through consumption of, of meat, eggs, and dairy and animal products. So that yeah. but that again, it's not. I, my dad asked me and he's just like, you know, he thinks of it as like a diet and he's asked me how much weight I've lost. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm like, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't weigh myself. Like it's, it's not, it wasn't for health reasons. You know, it was my philosophy led me to it. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about it. Paulo is first of all, people misunderstand us so much that we don't have a good reputation. It doesn't give us a good social image. So certainly there's not much of a reward in it for us. Nope. And, and and let's go into something else now. Now, for example, me and my my vow of celibacy, and you you got your vasectomy. You know, mm -hmm. see, here's the thing about this, Poffo, is that that is an example. Whether somebody just s s vows to never have sex, uh, or whether they get themselves sterilized because they uh, understand the unethicalness of procreating. Both of those things are just different me methods of us doing something that we know to be right, not for a reward. It's not like for some weird reward that, that we get for doing it. You know, I mean, I, I can I can argue I can argue the other side though because I could say, oh, you just wanted to have to be able to have all the sex you want. You wanted to be able to uh, have unprotected sex and not have to worry about it, so you could be more, you know, uh, you could be more promiscuous and stuff. And um, so that that I can see that argument, and I could say that yeah, honestly, that's that's that could be part of it. That was that was part of it, but uh, but I did it. No, the reason I did it was because I never wanted to to have children. I I I, I never wanted to be a bad father or, or bring a child into this corrupt, screwed up world, and that was the core of it all, right there. Is um I I did not want my child to suffer. I did not. I never wanted to be a bad parent. I knew that I could never be responsible enough or or financially stable and, and, and to give my kid the life that he would, he or she would deserve. So that was it. Uh, of course I, I really enjoyed sex afterwards. I think like the, the week after I wasn't supposed to, but I was like, like it was, it was, it was great. It was an off, it was a, like a burden lifted. 
um, you know, obviously if you're responsible, you're with someone, you know, that, that is, uh, is clean, doesn't have any STDs or whatever, you're in a committed relationship. But, um, like, so yeah, it, it benefited me, but that's not why I did it. Like I, it, it was, it was, it, it was, it was both. It was, it was still forward thinking and thinking about my potential unborn children, which, which motivated me. Yeah, and see, this is the thing about it. I understand, yeah, that it would be some people who would accuse would accuse you of that and try to claim it was a selfish motive. But you know, I, I, I you know, I always look, I look at that, and I look at you getting a vasectomy. I look at that. That is the altruistic thing. That's the right thing to do. Responsible, responsible yeah. thing to do. That's the way yeah. I see it. Yeah, I, you I, know, that's I really the, felt yeah. like that. Do anything else. In this society, and I'll go ahead and state for the record, in this society, to do otherwise is completely irresponsible. Like, if you want children, adopt. But to, yeah. to continue to procreate, to continue to conceive, you are you're you're just not you're not seeing the big picture, and you're not thinking about that child. You're thinking about yourself. You're you're only thinking about um, on some level. There is no reason to have children that does not fall under the category of some self-serving interest or desire or want or need that revolves around you. Yeah, absolutely. That child, you're thinking about you. Uh, Danny would, would, would disagree. And he, he, um, that's his contention is he says on that last podcast that, um, he wants to have children so that he can influence them because he knows he's responsible because he's not afraid to take risks because, uh, he wants to influence the world in a positive way through his children because the intelligent, enlightened, um, you know, uh, decent people are the ones that need to have kids because so many other people are having kids. We have to outbreed them. We have to, to <laughs> somehow, you know, make make the good babies to to outbreed the bad. And I'm just like, you know, just, what? it just seems yeah. it just seems warped. It yeah. seems twisted. And it, uh, yeah. again, it's Puffle. not for the sake of the child. He's using this child in that sense. Yeah. See, Paulo, here's what this comes down to. That means it's a competition. You have different groups of people who are going to compete, and it's like, hey, I could have more babies than you, and we're going to take over the world because there will be more of us because I can have sex more than you, and I can produce more babies than you. It's like it turns into a competition, the very antithesis of the world we need where there's no more competition, no more scarcity. It's like – Sure. <laughs> I think I think because it's a rationalization, um, honestly. It's, it's just a justification after the fact. Um, because again, the point I was, the point I just made, he's still using that he's using his child for something. I mean, you want yeah. to talk about the most self-centered, selfish people, watch a few episodes of game of Thrones. Like all they do is use their children. They use their children as, you know, you know, to, to secure their legacy to, um, for, you know, for, for battle, for, for whatever they, they marry their children off. And it's so the caste system and the whole, um, uh. You know the the um what's what's the word man I'm to, like like on the Titanic you know there's like the different levels of class the classism is the absolute that's such a it's such an evil thing and that is the ultimate um disrespect and and, and really um selfish motivation when it comes to children is using your kids like that you know to uh, to further your own agenda you are born to this life you had no say in it so you're here. Well, you're responsible for you, and you're only responsible for you, and and that's it. Like, don't, you know, take this this godlike power that we have. Obviously, we don't contain it one sex within one gender ourselves. Now, gender is not the right word. Within one sex, male or female, we don't contain that power. But when we unite, 
male and female or get and donate sperm yeah. or whatever. We have this incredible power to reproduce life. That should not be taken lightly. 95% of the population is not ready for that responsibility, and they 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 should nature. Uh, nature and it's learning through us, through the smart, celibate, and <laughs> vegan uh, humanitarians. It's learning that that just to reproduce, 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 reproduce is not the best thing. Not not at this point. Not at this stage in the game. It's a beautiful, incredible ability that we have, but. Not everybody should have that ability. And I, and I know Peter would jump in and say, see, fascism, totalitarian. If you want to control, you want to sterilize people. You would control who is and who, when and, and where. And, um, and you, would, you would, you know, dictate a minute. And I'm like, you know what? I really would. Yeah. See, I would control, yeah. I would control that because that is the cause of all the evil and violence and yeah. suffering in the world. How do people not see this? Is bad parenting. Yeah, and he, and he, and here's the point, Poffo. What do people do? They look to governments to uh, or pray to their god, whatever. They look to some authority at, at, to stop the harm that's being done to them. Notice that they want someone to step in and stop harm being done to them. But then, for some reason, <laughs> when when a harm is being done to massive amounts of sentient life then they're all opposed to having anything imposed on people they want people to be free to murder who they like you know i, I, I chuckled not because it's a, i chuckled not because it's a funny scenario but i knew where you were going with it because it's after yeah. the fact it's after the fact why can't we have a preemptive strategy that takes into account that sex makes babies that irresponsible, dysfunctional, emotionally unstable, psychologically imbalanced people should not be reproducing. Yeah. Why do we grant them that right? Why do they automatically have the right to make babies, adopt animals, for example, and, and just own pets when they abuse and neglect their animals, leave a dog fucking tied up outside to a stake and starving out in the cold? Well, Anybody can just adopt. Go to go to a shelter. Go to a um, you know, a, a, a pet shop and buy a buy a dog. But they can own other life forms. Why don't we make it illegal to own other life forms? Why don't we make it illegal to proliferate and and procreate life when you're like nowhere near responsible enough to to handle that um that huge uh, obligation and burden and and really. That gift, to, to, you know, because that, that, that's a gift, man, to, to be able to care for life. And any fool can make a baby, but it takes a real man to be a father. You know, you've heard that, that phrase. Yeah. So, yeah. Don't get me started. This, this, this is one of the most – this is one of the most – probably yeah. one of my yeah. most intense passion other than like religion and Christianity. So you get me started on this, man. I'm going to go off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's just – here's the thing about it. Like – it's true. It's far too easy for people to own other sentient animals. It's ridiculous. And see, here's the thing is I don't want anybody to ever call me an owner of anything, of any animal. See, if let's say I did have some kind of a pet someday to give them a better life, to keep them from, from harm. If anybody refers to me as their owner, I'm going to chew them out. 
Like seriously, man. No, I am not an owner. You can't own another uh, life equal to your own. You can't. Uh, that's that's you why can't, the language. Yeah. That's why the language within vegan yeah. circles has changed. That we call them companion animals. They're not pets. You know, they're not. Yeah. They're not ours. I I know this very well because I I cared for ferals. I raised ferals, and I I know. Yeah. I didn't. I, I I will never own them. I'm caring for them, and and I know because the the long process it took to sort of domesticate them and get them used to me. I I know. Um, I understand this this the situation just very intimately because like it was. I could never just grab them. I had to just earn their trust, and it was all. How do I say this? It's all on them. Like it's I I left it up to them if they wanted to come in the house, if they wanted to be near me when I would interact with them and stuff. So like I really understand that. I didn't go and buy my my cats. Like I cared for my animal. I cared for the animals. They're not even mine. I cared for the animals that 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 they were living around my you know in the property, and and I still care for them. So it's like that. Now I have to take certain. I have to do things against their will. Cut their nails. Keep them locked inside for their own safety. For their own um, you know, health and stuff. So I have to be responsible and kind of control them in that way. But I, I, I know very well, especially with cats, because cats are very independent. Um, yeah. Okay. You, you mentioned something earlier, though. Dude, I wanted to get back to, but um, it was, it was so important. You were mentioning something about it was something about life. It was about existence. I wanted to kind of take it to a broad, go back to the to the broad discussion of um. Oh, oh, okay. Hold on. I think I got it. Um, can do we or can we can we do better than nature? You know, one of the laws of ecology is nature knows best, right? Um, can we do better than nature? Like as Trick would would say, um, as Peter would would absolutely oppose, he would say, no, nature knows best. Um, can we now? By the way, speaking of nature, I have to pee. <laughs> okay. The call of nature. <laughs> sure, man. Sure. <laughs> you're uh, okay. So you were making faces there yeah. for a little while, and um, I, I thought I, I didn't know it was wrong, and I guess uh, you're like your eyes were watering, like you had to go for a while. <laughs> I, I'm glad you caught my joke. Speaking of nature, I have to pee. <laughs> I would say I would say that nature knows best, except when it comes to and when it comes to reproduction. I would say in, on every, in every other way, I would say nature knows best and we can look to nature for all the answers, for all the cures to our diseases, for how to operate in society, for how to coexist. Um, we, can, we can learn from nature except when it comes to uh, sort of moral and ethical questions of how we treat one another um, in, in our societies, in our cultures, in our, in our communities and stuff um, because – you know, nature is all about um, recycling. It's all about, uh, you know, um, finding new and innovative ways to grow and expand and, and express itself. You know, um, it, uh, it, it teaches us everything we need to know. But here's, here's the question because this is, this is the philosophical sort of existential um, subject here. The, the topic is, uh, is nature just this – this machine that is just producing and producing and producing and it has no thought, it has no mind, it has no, no intelligence of its own. It's just this, um, this cold, uncaring, indifferent, um, uh, I don't know what you can equate it to. Um, I see nature as a living system and I, and I see it as supportive of all life and I see it as uh, not indifferent 
in terms of um, in terms of provision of the species, but possibly indifferent or maybe just blind, because it's up to the individual to find their own value and worth and purpose, and um, and and you know seek seek the meaning and and care for themselves and stuff like that. Because nature is sort of flipping; it's going from being this like force, this this you know, spontaneous, autonomic, um, self-sustaining, um, you know, all pervasive force and, and, uh, that's, that's moving in and through everything to becoming now individualized and self-aware and conscientious so that it's, it's looking back and it's, it's, it's become subjective. It's no longer just this, this internal eminent thing that, that is operating everywhere at all times that has no mind, but it's now developed a mind through conscious, sentient life like us. So now it can learn that cooperation is better than competition, that, um, that we don't have to just live for survival, but we can live for the sake of, of others. We can live for the sake of something that's greater, that we can, we can have a more expansive uh, perception of our existence so that we can look ahead to future generations and we can think altruistically and we can behave benevolently and we can, um, you know, uh, live in a sustainable way that, so that it's not just self-serving because all, almost all animals are completely selfish in the sense that they are only thinking about, you know, where their next meal is going to come from, you know, you know, how to, how to meet their biological needs basically. Um, and, and then the more successful organisms, as we've talked about before, they're, they're moving in that way towards altruism and many do cooperate with one another and they'll do things magnanimously, uh, you know, uh, for the sake of others. And you'll see sacrifice in nature. You'll see it. Um, you see the hints of morality and, and ethics building there, um, in the higher, the primates and the cetaceans and, and higher, let's say the mammals, the highly evolved mammals, um, and reptiles. I mean, you can't put it past any animal. They, they can all learn this. They can all learn. Uh, to grow and, and advance in this way. So the question is, is nature evil? Is it out to get us? Are we smarter than nature? Should we try to um, counteract and, 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 and sort of shortcut this that creates suffering? Or maybe nature knows exactly what it's doing. Because the awareness of that suffering has now come about through its own children, through its own manifestations, us. See? So is nature really blind? Well, it's, it's, it started off very primitive, and it was all kill or be killed, survival of the fittest, fight or flight, you know, the reptile brain, like literally physiologically, the oldest parts of our brain, the brain stem and the, and the reptile brain, the R complex. And now with the neocortex, with the frontal lobe, the prefrontal lobe, um, and the ability to think and reason and and decide and and, and you know have um, moral decision making skills like now nature has a conscience. So yeah. what, what do you what, what do you say? Like like okay. it, what, is it one or the other, or is it is it just a is it a gigantic organism? Is it a being that's in the process of of transitioning and evolving um, to become self aware and cohesive and conscious and, and coherent? Well, let, let me put it this way, Poffo. People often say, oh, well, that's just nature. That's just the way nature is, you know, as if there's a set way, you know, uh, that things have to be. And I'm here to tell people there is no set nature. Nature is not set in stone. The very thing about nature is it changes. The very thing about life is it changes is that it does evolve. 
And that's the whole thing, Poffo, is be, that you, nobody can ever use this this logical fallacy of saying that's just nature. There is no valid naturalistic fallacy because nature can be whatever it evolves to be. That's right. And so there is uh, no Mar yeah. Marcus. Let's say Marcus Aurelius. You know the great, um, the good, the good emperor, the great pantheistic emperor. He said, uh, "Death is nothing but change." And change is nature's delight. So there you go. Huh. Death is nothing but change, and change is nature's delight. Yep. That I mean, I'm just reiterating what you're saying. Uh, that yeah. basically, that, that all things you know transform and transition, and, and yeah. nature is organic. It's it, nothing is set in stone. It it does what it does for the sake of existence to perpetuate its own existence to just continue yeah. um to, to 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 continue on in the most efficient most um utilizing whatever it, you know it can whatever uh, changes and it adjusts yeah. and it changes uh, to meet to meet its environment. Yeah, I, and, and um, it's ironic. It's ironic, but it was natural selection that ended up leading us here. Okay, and here's here's why. Okay, obviously the the ability to reproduce thoughtlessly and reproduce in great quantities, of course, that's part of the horror, you know, because that means that there's all these these things reproduced, and then the the some get killed, and then the ones better adapted to survive continue right. on. Right. But eventually, after all this time, it is led to some of us. Um, actually having a consciousness or a conscience developed enough to say to reproduction to actually it's like yeah. it carries this way reproduction is what brought us here and then here we come along and we say no <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's beautiful it's, a beautiful thing. it's an, ugly, an ugly process that brings about a lot of uh, that brings about a lot of beauty and complexity and order and, and design and and now it's it's come it's it's taken us to a place where we now can we can be in charge of our own evolution. We can choose whether to procreate or not. We can we can intelligently design our societies and our cultures, as Richard Dawkins uh, would say. Um, we we are now at the place as highly evolved sentient sapient organisms, Homo sapiens, can now um, you know creatively, ethically, intelligently um, direct our own evolution. In terms of where we go, how we live, whether we're going to live sustainable lives in cohesion, in concert with the earth, or or uh, fighting and railing against it and against one another, um, you know, in, in complete, you know, dis discord. We need to come together and unify and and live in harmony with nature and in harmony with ourselves and in in harmony with the planet. And that, you know, we've talked about this many, many, many times. So we're not going to get into the practical ways to do that but um being vegan is, <laughs> is yeah. a great start you know supporting the zeitgeist movement the venus project um learning learning critical thinking skills um like supporting you know local activists supporting animal rights activists uh becoming an environmentalist um you know uh learning about um ecology and and understanding uh, philosophy and the sciences and, and studying uh history and psychology and um, philosophy and sociology and anthropology and um, like you know learn the sciences advance and and let's let's achieve you know whatever we can achieve in in this life in this short amount of time we have was it 60 70 to 80 years we have 
on, on this earth. So let's do as much good as we can. Um, and, and, and really like, just look to nature and learn from nature. And where you see nature um, being blind and ignorant and deaf and dumb, well, you're not blind and you're not ignorant and you're not deaf and dumb. We are the eyes and ears yeah. and, and heart and moral conscience of nature. So let's let's be its hands and its feet and let's do the, the good work um, that, that we can possibly do to make things better for, for all life. And that's uh, the heart of, of Biopan, actually. Yeah, I, I want to read. That's a, the thing, isn't it? Like, uh, like here's what here's something I wanted to say is, you know, um, we like earlier we were saying that our own existence just to ourself was not worth it. Just mm -hmm. for ourselves, it's not worth it. And here's what I think happens, Poffo, is if anybody views themselves as an isolated system, and they're only considering their own pleasure or pain, then everything becomes meaningless. I think what happens is that the selfish person comes to the end of themselves. And what happens when you're at the end of yourself, then you find out that you're not yourself and you're not alone, but you're interconnected with all these other people and you affect other people. And Patho, if you don't mind me mentioning this, what you told me on the phone earlier about how you were contemplating suicide this one day, do you mind me tell bringing this up? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't mind. But let's let's be clear. This wasn't just like one day, like a, a few days ago or something. This is. Um, oh yeah. Okay. This this is a uh, long not, time ago. About, yeah, this is about uh, thirteen, fourteen years ago. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not even good at math. Let's say at the end of two thousand, yeah. at the end of two thousand and six, the end of two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Weird. Okay. So uh, what, I, I remember you telling me this. Like you had a gun, uh, and you were gonna kill yourself. But then you realized that if you did, some little kid could come in that park and then find you dead and be traumatized. And, right. and because of you were thinking about that, that was what stopped you in that moment. It was one of the reasons, honestly. It was, i got to be honest. It was one of the reasons because I'm such a perfectionist. I felt like my, my cell phone had died. No one knew where I was. I was going to like leave a call, leave a message to let, let whoever know right before I did it. Um, you know, where my body was going to be and, and my phone died. So that, that didn't work out. And then looking around, I knew that, that there are many children that frequent that park. And I just thought I would be traumatizing some little kids, some little girl would, would come across my body. And I didn't want to, I, I just didn't want to um, contribute to that. Uh, the main reason honestly was, I guess the main reason is I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to end. And so if there was, yeah. if I, if I, if there was another way that I could somehow eliminate the pain and still live, I would do that. Okay. But I got to be really, really honest. I think the very, very core, and it, it's, it's okay to be honest and say this. It was because I wanted to see my girlfriend one last time. I wanted to see the girl who had ripped my heart out, broken my heart. Um, literally like, you know, just destroyed my life. And I, I had a, a mental emotional breakdown. Um, it was a whole series of events that led up to that. And then when that finally happened, that was just the, that was it. That was like the, the straw yeah. broke the camel's back. Um, I, I had a breakdown and I couldn't take it anymore, but I wanted to see her one last time. I just like, she could have saved me if she would have came, came walking down that field. That would have been heaven for me to have her come and, and just show up. Um, I was out there for about 10 hours just deliberating and it was the most traumatic I, you know I had I had PTSD afterwards because of the event um 
But she never showed up. Nobody showed up. Nothing happened. No one intervened. God, God didn't speak from heaven. I never got a sign. It was me internally wanting last time and, and, and also because things just weren't right that I needed it to be a certain way because I'm a, I'm a goddamn perfectionist. I mean, maybe that's what saved me. <laughs> I, I just, I just didn't want it to end that way. Um, without someone knowing where I was, yeah. so I wouldn't be out there rotting. I wouldn't yeah. body would be out there. So yeah, so I, I know the point you're yeah. trying to make that, yeah. that it was altruistic. That my, even my even in my most selfish, self-centered, um, you know, state of, of pain and and you know, contemplating this, I I still was thinking about others. It's true. I was thinking about my girlfriend. I absolutely was thinking about my mom. I, I if you want to expound on this, another point actually. It's definitely significant that I should mention. I knew that it would destroy my mother. I knew that it would. Um, I knew that she would never recover from it. I felt that like I, I didn't want her to go through the pain that I was going through. I didn't want her to. I felt that she she would just lose it and and get locked up in a mental institution. And ironically, I got locked up in a mental institution afterwards. The, <laughs> cop, the cops were waiting for me when I got back and. So I ended up going through even more hell trying to, you know, get out of that. But um, I, I was thinking about others, even even in that in that state, in that, that horrible yeah. state of, uh, of of emotional pain that I can't yeah. even really fathom right now. Um, I was still thinking about others, um, and I and I had left some notes for my parents and tried to, you know, say my piece to everyone, but. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. still here. So I, the, yeah. I'm glad you brought it up because it really gets cuts to the core of this issue. Am I thankful that I'm still here? That's the real question. Am I glad that I'm alive rather than being dead? Like, would it be better? Would it have been better if I would have went ahead and pulled that trigger and and ended things then, or? Or am I glad? Like, have I ever had a day where I said, "Wow, I'm so thankful I'm alive. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad. I'm so happy I didn't do that." Honestly, Chandler, I can't say that. I can't say that I'm that I'm glad. What I can say is, if I get my books published, okay, and if I can establish biopantheism, then everything will have been worth it, and I, and and I'll I'll feel I'll feel glad to be here because I will have accomplished something. I will have done something meaningful with my life. I will have affected people and 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 just left this world a better place than what I found it. Yeah, and you know, here's an interesting thought, Paulo, and I think this is something that should be mentioned. Um, at some point, we'll need to bring this to a close, but here's something I want to mention. Um, now, here's the interesting part. What if there was nobody else? Like, imagine you were the only sentient life form. There were no other humans. There were no other animals even. You were the only one. In that case – it would be it, the situation would have been different because well, the, the very all the problems fact, all the problems that we have would be gone first of all and, yeah. and we have the we'd have the run of the earth it sounds like like paradise but but without without life without plants and animals I think it would be miserable it'd be hell but if you mean just no people that actually sounds pretty good <laughs> yeah like like my my ideal situation that I imagine okay okay this, this is very this is very idealistic man this is this is gonna sound like paradise to most people I think. Okay, basically, there are no no humans, at least not how we know them now. There are no carnists for sure. 
Um, and there's no no carnivorous animals, just herbivores, peaceful herbivores. Horses and deer and elephant, they don't mean anybody any harm. They just eat their plants, leave everybody alone, you know? See, that kind of a world would be so peaceful, so pleasurable. I, I don't know if I'd ever see such a thing, but that kind of world that I imagine would be so pleasurable that, yeah, I would want to live in that world as long as possible in that kind of a scenario. I want to tell you something, Chandler. Um, cats and dogs, we can we can feed them vegan food now. Just think about this for just yep. a second. We can feed cats and dogs. Cats are obligate carnivores. Dogs are omnivores. We can feed our, our domesticated animals um, vegan pet food that does not involve any killing, does not involve any suffering. They can thrive on it with proper supplementation. Um, they can absolutely thrive. Okay, so what does that tell you? If we can do it on a small scale, we can do it on a large scale, on a grand scale. Okay, so yeah. let's let's get to um, this last quote. Um, this is from Macbeth and uh, obviously uh, Shakespeare. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools. The way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Now that is a man who has been through a lot of shit and he's obviously feeling hopeless and pessimistic and disparaging about the events that, that went on in that, in that play. Um, and it rings true because the idea is, you know, is it all futility? Like, like everything that we do, um, I think George mentioned this once, you know, that the, whatever good or evil we do, it's just a, it's just a blimp. It's just a, a, a blink in time. It's like nothing on the cosmic scale. Um, so it's like, we struggle and we fight and we and we argue and we debate and we deal with so much psychological headache and heartache and bullshit. And yet it's like, you know, put things in perspective and um, human beings ha haven't even, you know, even begun to make a dent on, on the um, – just on the age of, on the, of this earth, okay? So what does it all mean? Like what does it all – what does it all matter? Because – you know, here today, gone tomorrow. We're like the grass. And there's many, many verses in Ecclesiastes especially. I should have pulled some of those up. Uh, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible um, where supposedly Solomon, whoever the author is, wrote it. And he's very discouraged and just, you know, dealing with um, saying, you know, vanity, vanity. Everything's vanity. Everything's meaningless. Everything's um, chasing the wind. <laughs> yeah, so it's all chasing after the wind. Um, but, like, that's true. But it doesn't end with you, does it? You're not the only one here. Is that this? This goes on. This pageantry, whether it's for, um, for good or for evil, for for pleasure or for pain, you know, for um, the the this this whole existence continues on in some way, shape, or form, and others carry on, and it doesn't end with you. It didn't start with you, and it doesn't end with you. So, our problem is, our 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 vision is myopic, and it's too limited, and and we need to expand 
you know, our horizons and, and, and look at things in a in broader perspective and say, I'm a part of something. I'm a part of something greater. I'm, I'm actually just a player, um, maybe a poor player that's strutting and fretting, but at least I had my, you know, my five, 10 minutes in the sun and, and, you know, I, I, le- I made a difference. I left, I left my mark. And, and if, if nothing ever comes about, if the human race goes, you know, the way of the dodo and goes extinct and, and, all life eventually ceases how through whatever scenario you envision, if it's the, the, the expansion of the sun um, or, or whatever, you know, uh, extinction events, um, the volcanoes or asteroid hits, whatever. Um, it doesn't matter because we came into existence, we experienced it. If no one remembers, fine. Somewhere, someone else, somewhere, somebody else, we'll be experiencing something as well. There's always going to be life. I believe always going to be um, the experience of life that Omnia is always evolving and changing and, and popping in and out of existence in some form or another. And I think on some level, we talked about this once, maybe it's all recorded. Maybe it's all saved somewhere. And there's this gigantic movie screen and, and there's just, just, you know, rows and rows and rows of shelves of all the experiences of life, of all the life forms. And this is someone's entertainment. This is someone's, you know, we're, we're creating the, the greatest um, storybooks ever that people. That's one, down that's the road. one, that's one long movie. <laughs> sure. But it's like the, the longest Google hangout ever <laughs> to, uh, to, to an eternal being, uh, to an infinite universe that, that is never ending. That is, that is cyclical. Um, why not? You know, like our podcasts seem to yeah. go on forever, but but they uh, yeah <laughs> they, they'll end they'll, they'll they'll come to an end soon to all the listeners if yeah if yeah which which like, okay wow <laughs> yeah well, one of two things will happen I, either this podcast will end or the entire universe will end we'll leave uh, we'll let people guess which will happen first <laughs> I want to recommend some really good movies that deal with all of these uh, these sort of existential questions um mr nobody it's an incredible that movie um we've got uh the fountain that's another great movie about life and death and um there's all these there's all these films that are just like in my mind um that that really can leave you thinking and contemplating and um you know and and questioning things and in a good way you know uh uh, questioning the, the sort of um i don't know it's the impermanent nature of life but also uh, you know, the, the strength and power we have as individuals to uh, influence and, and make a difference. And that's all, you know, anybody can really ask for is, uh, you know, to, to influence and inspire others and, and create some form of legacy. Uh, that's what I hope to do. And I hope we're doing that through this podcast. Can you think of any other films like that that are really deep and thought provoking that you could recommend? Hmm. Well, I think we already mentioned it's a wonderful life. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great one. It's a great one too. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, man. I don't know. We are, oh, I got to tell you something. You'll find yeah. this hilarious. Okay, there was this episode of Johnny Bravo. Okay, this was a cartoon. It was like one of the worst cartoons you ever saw, man. But <laughs> it was like it was like it's a wonderful life in reverse, kind of like I described. Okay, so and you'll find this hilarious. You don't need to watch this because I could just tell you real quick with the whole plot. Okay, so this angel takes Johnny because um, he said that you know he wished he'd never been born and th- that the world would be better off without him. So then this angel guides him through what the world looks like if he had never been born, and he finds out 
indeed, everybody he knew was better off. (laughs) Okay, but guess what? But there was one thing that was missing. The imprint of him smashing his face onto the wet cement of the sidewalk. He had to be born or the world would be deprived of his pretty. <laughs> I might have to watch it to, uh, to, get, yeah, to get it. Yeah, um, seriously. It's probably on YouTube somewhere, man. It was funny. <laughs> that, that's... Did you ever see Life of Pi? Life of Pi? Oh, yeah, Must I did. That was one of the most awful things. That was that okay. That was not quite as bad as Earthlings, but it was pretty love, bad. No, I love that. I, we're talking about the the guy and he's on the boat with the animals and tells us he's telling the story from his from his perspective. That that's the film, right? The the Indian yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a beautiful movie. I thought it was great. The I'm tiger like, and stuff. Was know, it, made, but, it made you sad? Was it depressing to you? Extremely. My mom when I watched that, that was the like the wor- one of the worst you, things that we've ever watched. Taylor, do you do you realize that that it was a metaphor? Like he was telling that story, like that's not they they were all the animals all represented the characters in, in his life. They were they represented people. But he told that story. It was a dual story. He goes, You can decide, you know, what you what you want to believe happened. But remember, the tiger is him. It's himself. The tiger is it represents him. You, you didn't get this at all. That's no. A, you don't you don't watch that movie literally. Remember the end, man. He he makes he tell he tells it's like he's telling two stories, and the and the story that we watch on the screen is really the um, the more fanciful um, sort of metaphorical, just like uh, uh, where the wild things are. Like there are no monsters. Those are all just aspects of his personality of of the kid of Max. You got you got to watch movies with me, man, so you can really uh, analyze it. Seriously, dude, I just yeah. saw what was actually happening in the movie, and watch that, it was her- watch that movie. Watch that movie again, and you no, know, no, man, I am not watching that again. Oh, seriously. Uh, all right, look. All right, listen, listen. Just watch the end. Just watch the end again, where he's explaining this at the very end when he's in the hospital. Watch that part again. Cool. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, well, anyhow, Papo, yeah, this has been an extremely good talk, and, and, and I think that these issues are the only types of things worth discussing, discussing you know, that matters of life and death, so to speak, because there's, there's all these people who debate all these other issues, whether it's, you know, capital punishment or, or war or euthanasia or abortion, and the vegan versus carnist debate is, of course, the probably the one of the biggest, if not the biggest matter of life and death. But what we did today, Poffo, is we were discussing, you know, the value of our life and is life worth it? Is our life worth it to us? Currently our answer is no. Is it worth it to other people? You know, they have to answer that. There's so many layers to this. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that people listening to the discussion got something out of this. I mean, so people, if you if you manage to listen to us in our long talk, you please leave us some comments. What you like? What are your thoughts? You know, watch the Green Mile. There's another one I was thinking. The Green Mile is a beautiful film um, about a lot of the same same questions, same issues. Yeah, I can I can like link up some uh, in, in the video um, at the at the bottom uh, like some some titles for films and stuff. I think it's important that we uh, we think about these things, we contemplate. Yeah, so, yeah, totally. Yeah, th- Thank yeah. you for uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Chandler, for allowing me to participate. And um, yeah, um, let's uh, let's continue talking. And I hope it was 
you know, inspiring and influential or at the very least thought provoking and educational.